Hi, it's Milan Vukmirovic, and you're listening to the Wasted Hour podcast. So welcome everyone to the Wasted Hour podcast, the podcast about fashion, inspiration, artists and creative culture. I'm Martin and I'm very happy to introduce today's guest, Milan Vukmirovic. Thank you so much for taking the time today. No, thank you for having me. Pleasure. Yeah, it's a real honor. Like when you sent me your CV, I saw that you have like the like over 30 years background in fashion and I can't wait to dive into this. But what the first question is that I wanted to ask is, what was the last piece that you've bought? That I bought? Yeah. Uh, let me think was actually, uh, I bought, well, I made my own Vans customized on the website of Vans. And I really kind of enjoyed it because I love the, the old school uh, of Vans. I think it's uh, one of the best style ever. And now there is so many options to customize it online. And yet you can download your own picture if you want. You can add, you know, all this check even on the sole. Uh, there is so many options. So I, I kind of like get really excited doing my own personal uh, vans that no one will have. Just Perfect. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah. sounds good. Um, like I mentioned, like you've been into fashion for the past like 30 years, but do you remember like the first time you recognized that uh, like when fashion came into your life, like the first memory? Yeah, completely. I mean, there is two things. I, I had the chance to have a mother who really liked clothes and like fashion and she was always very nicely dressed and she liked accessory. So I remember, I think probably one of my first memories that she had this uh, clutch with the uh, Dior monogram that is exactly the one that they do now on the sh the tote bag that Maria Grazia is using everywhere it was exactly the same in the 70s and I remember that I don't know why it was really something strong so I always kind of like surrounded by by a mother that had good taste and always like learned me that you have to look good that clothes were important also you know for your uh, your image but also what you want to translate in a way you know to look good and uh, to look confident um After that, when I was in school, there was a moment where I was really wondering what I wanted to do. I know I wanted to do something creative. And one, uh, it's really strange. I remember this very strongly. I went to a newsstand uh, in Paris and I was really young and I looked at all the magazines and I saw the face and ID and I bought those magazines. And it was really the click when I saw that. I was like, I want to work in the industry. That's what I want to do. That I really want to create clothes. And it was really the time, you know, of uh, Nick Knight doing the Yoshi Yamamoto campaign and uh, Marc Ascoli as a creative director, and it was Comme des Garçons. And so it was also like an incredible time with Jean-Paul Gaultier. It was really the creator, let's say, more than today. We call designer, creative director, but at the time it was really creator, which was really like real designers for fashion. And it was... Uh, I don't know. It, I said, okay, I'm going to find a school. That's what I want to do. And uh, in the same time, when I finally found the school in Paris, took a credit at the bank, 
ask for money because my parents couldn't pay for it. And I, um, I had some free time next to the school. So I said, like, I have to do something from this free time I have. And then I started to send my letter to all the magazines in Paris and try to have an internship. Uh, and I say, I'm ready to work for free, bring the coffee, whatever. I just want to learn what it is to work in a magazine. So very early, I was 19 and I was doing uh, school. So I heard uh, pattern making and design. And on the side, in the afternoon, in the morning, I was working in a magazine. Uh, and uh, Jardin des Modes at the time was a very famous French magazine. And, and curiously enough, when I think about it now, uh, because people don't know this magazine now, but at the time, it was really very special magazine because very big size and it was really not talking only about fashion but also architecture and design and furniture like a lot of field of creation and it was an amazing school for me so that's how everything started and that's how my first feeling for fashion was uh, uh, but it's true that it was again an incredible time when you think about the designers at the fashion at the time because yeah. nothing was really like copy or or re rechange it was really new you know, everything that was coming is something that you didn't really see before. So it was exciting. Yeah, I think so too. The first time when you discover fashion for the first time, like everything for you is brand new. And like, I see myself now that um, like I've been following fashion like for the past 10 to 15 years and now I see things coming like back. And like, that makes me feel like I'm, oh wow, like <laughs> I'm on my second <laughs> cycle already. Yeah, but in fact, it's one of the most, uh, it's funny, you pointed something that is actually one of the most challenging and difficult thing if you want to continue to work in fashion, is to never become, not, I would say, bitter, but to say, oh, it was better before, or I saw this already. In fact, it is the system of fashion to recycle and to change. And, and it's true that if, you, if you're very honest, even the fashion from the 80s, some things are inspired by the 40s for example. So there is always a references. And, and very often the fashion today is very inspired by, let's say, the la 20 years ago or 30 years ago. It's always a little bit this kind of uh, timing. So uh, it's, it's very dangerous to basically not get bored because, for example, and I will not give a name, but I, I know one or two brands today who are very, very, I will not say successful, but that people really like online on social media and who literally copy what Helmut Klang was doing. And, but the, the, and when you think about it, early 90s, yeah, the generation, the millennial, very the young one, they don't know Helmut Klang, what it was. And you can copy it and people think it's great. For me, I, I don't have the same feeling because the copy doesn't have it on, on top of that, the same uh, strength that Helmut Klang was a whole you know, image, advertising, philosophy, art. There was a whole more than just the clothes. But it had uh, such a, an impact. And that's what I love about fashion too, is that now you see how much influence it was. And, and you see since 10 years, how much Phoebe Philo has influenced fashion, for example. It's incredible. Yeah. So uh, it's also interesting that really there is some designers who uh, uh, are important in the way that they're going to influence a whole generation of designer after them. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's amazing too. And I, like, sometimes I tend to be like, Oh, I've seen it already. Or like, there's nothing new, but I think at the same time, and it also comes with music or like another art as well. When you look like closely, there's like so much, um, new things going on as well. Like, it's just like what's, what's in your feed sometimes on Instagram or what like the main, 
um, yeah, what the main people like. Like there's always something in between or left or right next to it. But uh, the, the the thing for me, I I, I you know, uh, since I, I work at Collect, I'm, I'm someone who analyzes a lot, and I love to think about uh, fashion history and fashion evolution and what's next, because my job is also what's next. And uh, I think very often people forget that fashion, apart the fact that it dress you up, so it's clothes that you need to put on, uh, there is different aspect of fashion. It's a social status. And it was. So it means that before you were dressing, people who had a lot of money could afford very expensive clothes. And therefore, it was a social status. You were going out and people were looking at you like, oh, wow, you know, this person must have money because they have expensive clothes. And that's what happened after with the logo and everything. People want to show that they can afford Gucci and Fendi and Vuitton and things like that. So it's true that fashion is a, is a social status. Uh, after that, I think it's also fashion all the way since decades is also following, um, I would say, uh, not a trend, but an evolution of our way of life also. So it means, uh, for example, more you travel, uh, more you want comfortable clothes. Uh, if you look at 50 years ago, 100 years ago, clothes were really not comfortable. It was really something that we were forgetting about how to move with the body. So it's true that even now, since the last 20 years, people are much more body conscious. So they want more and more loose clothes, comfortable clothes. Mm -hmm. And then the other element is that, strangely enough, fashion is much more democratic because now, you know, everybody sees fashion on social media. Before it was just for the journalists and that's it. It was for an elite. Now that fashion is much more democratic, you're talking to a bigger audience. So if it's a bigger audience, this big audience has less money because, of course, there is more people with not too much money, <laughs> less rich people. Rich are more rich, but there is more and more people with less money. So it's also the reality that not only the comfort, but you can't buy a suit every day. You can't buy a new bag every day. It's too expensive. And also, if you, if you think about it, expensive clothes of quality or suits, quote, need dry clean. You can't wash so dry clean is expensive too. So there is a lot of things that are also connected to actually the way of life we're having. And so now when someone tell me like, oh, fashion is all about t-shirts, sweatshirts, and joggings and things like that, it's true. But it's also because of a reality of the life we have. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest challenge that we're facing in the future is that, and it's crazy because I'm talking against my own church in a way, but I think that we need less and less clothes. We are more and more conscious that uh, mass production of fashion is pollution, that climate change is there. So in a way, yes, there is concept of sustainability and things like that. But somehow I'm curious to see the future because in a way, maybe fashion will be less of a priority like it used to be. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's something like it's a whole new challenge. Uh, to see how can you still be relevant, uh, seduce a new consumer, and those consumers, how they're going to consume, actually. It's, it's very interesting. Totally. I think, like, the whole sustainability thing, like, that came into the picture more, like, five years ago, and when I look at it now, like, how it has developed in those five years, like, every time I'm in Paris, like, at the showrooms, and, I, like, there is a new fabric, there is a new <clears> way of doing things, and I think, and hopefully it will be this way that like, especially now, like a lot of brands will focus on that and like alternative methods 
to produce um, their clothes and so that it will that they will either last longer or how they are going to be produced or how they're going to be dyed etc etc yeah uh, for me though i have to be uh, honest i'm uh, i'm always a little bit suspicious when something is becoming a marketing argument also uh, I, you know i i think that uh, um, i really believe that it's almost like when people say i don't want to use plastic bottle for water but i'm buying nike's Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Nike is, is maybe one of the biggest producers of plastic when you think that every two weeks there is new styles. And this since the last 20 years. So I think that also for climate change, it's a much on it's on a much bigger scale, even that fashion. I think it's government, politic. It's when you vote, then you make a choice. And I think this is really like big choices of, you know, electricity instead of uh, uh, carbon, oil. I mean, all gas, all these things. It's, it's like... I think it has to be on a much bigger scale. Of course, everybody has to do his own work in his own field, and fashion has a work to do on that. But I don't like when I see some fashion brand who use this as a just an argument because the principle of fashion is business. You have to make money. People, you know, and so there is too many people maybe on this planet. That's the real problem because that's where the pollution comes from. So anyway, if you have to dress all these people, even with sustainability fabrics or clothes. Wow, you need to produce so much quantity that how, where, transportation. There is a lot of things to, to kind of think about before. So I'm for sustainability, but I think it should not be something that is too marketing because I think it just manipulates people to just continue to buy, basically. Yeah, and, and maybe the like problem that, is yeah. the the problem is to buy is to buy too much. Why we need to buy all the time so much? Yeah, I think it's a very thin line. Like when we said now, like it's it's like working in a fashion, and that I know too. Like I don't need like a new pullover, or like, I don't need new shoes, etc. Um, but at the same time, we're working this business, and I'm like really curious how this is gonna work out, if it will work out or not. So I think that will be one of the main challenges for the next years. But we're fully well, uh, we're we full like into the the now already. What I wanted to like get back, you already mentioned like Colette and like when you go, went into. Sorry, like, I speak a lot. <laughs> no worries. Like I'm, I'm curious about everything that you have to say. But when you when you mentioned that you went to fashion school, like I, um, you you dropped uh, you dropped out, right? Because I once read that you said that you hated it there, and then you dropped out. Can you say yes, what you because... hated about it? Yeah, because uh, especially at SMOD, I was there in, a, in class and um, I was trying to be different. And basically, they were trying to make us draw the same way, everybody. And I was like, and I was really remember, I was like drawing things completely like, at the time, I was in love with Christian Lacroix. It was like the big brand uh, in the uh, end of uh, 80s. And uh, And basically, the teacher will take, uh, you know, my drawing and say, like, okay, guys, this is what you should not do. Uh, so I was like, fuck. And, and then I realized that in a lot of fashion school, the teachers are students that became teacher. Yeah. It's not students that actually had an experience. They become teacher right away. So you don't have also the reality of the, the, the you know. Um, and... And I don't know, I just wanted to, I just felt I was different and uh, I, I wanted to do my own way. And that's a little bit the story of my life and career. I'm a little bit of a free spirit. So um, I, I don't know if I did the right choices, but I always wanted to feel free to do a lot of things and not someone to tell me what I should do or uh, put me in a box with a label. I, I hated that all my life. Yeah. Now I can, I can see like, if you're like a sensible person or like a uh, 
then you when you want to fit into a box like you, you can't stay in there and i think like the whole concept of fashion is like doing something in a new way as well and not following like a blueprint that's already there yeah but as we talked on the phone before it's also like it's easier for you in your generation now because it's more accepted that uh, virgil Blow is a designer an architect a dj and, and things like that yeah. um You know, in my case, it was uh, now almost like uh, 20 years, 15 years ago, and it was really, really not accepted. Yeah. You couldn't cross the lines. Yeah, there, were like know, a, uh, there was uh, like a gatekeeper thing where you couldn't get in. Yeah, if you were a journalist, you're a journalist, and that's it. If you're a buyer, you're a buyer. If you're a designer, you're a designer. You're not a photographer. You're not this, you're not that. It was very, very, uh, in a way, fashion seems to be now like such an open creative field. But really, before, there was really much more rules. Uh, let's say, and it was a few magazines with very important editors that we know, and they were ruling the whole thing. Yeah. And in fact, somehow what's happening since few years, it's a complete revolution of that too, because of the uh, democratic uh, feeling of social media, which I think is good because it gives freedom to people. I think so too, but it's so funny that you mentioned it, that like, when you think like today, like everything is accepted. I remember when I was starting The Wasted Hour and I was writing like we were in like an online shop and magazine like to, to some labels and they were always asking like, so are you what, like a shop or a magazine? And I was <laughs> like, no, I'm both. And then, and then they said like, why? You have to be Yeah, still. but because sometimes you can't ask people to have imagination, you know, it's like you need to show them what it looks like. And then when they see it, they understand it. Mm. And I, I think this is something I realized recently also is that don't wait uh, for people to, uh, to ask you to do things. Show them what you can do and then after they will ask you. Yeah. And that's also a little bit the limitation of some people in this business. They need to see something first. They need to see something first so that they have to have a box for it so they, that they can classify it. But yeah, I totally agree with you. Like after one year now, like when I introduced the concept now and I can show it, then I'm like, oh yeah, it totally makes sense. <laughs> But of course for me that I was thinking about it one year before, it made sense right away. But yeah. No, in fact, you know, I mean, honestly, if you just think twice, if today... Colette was starting and I, I was there, like I was at the concept and after at the hall for three years, I was buying everything there and doing all the windows, everything. Um, and I will get a job at whatever, Gisander, like I did or Gucci or somewhere. Uh, it will be completely different. Today, it will seem normal. Well, at the time, it wasn't. Yeah, that's, wasn't. So, that's so funny because like when I read your CV as well, like I thought like that you were like the one of the blueprints for it because you're, you, you haven't finished like fashion school, but ended up like as a designer, like at first. Yeah, because at, in fact, but because, well. yeah, but because also like, uh, you know, I also am someone who I do photography. I never learned photography, but I work with some fashion, uh, famous photographers and I looked how they were working and I'm someone who really uh, work by experience. So. I also, before even Long and everything, I designed uh, women clothes for like two years with a friend. We did a label, we were selling. I was selling to Bon Marché, to Joseph in London. I was doing the boxes, the invoice. I mean, I, I, that's how I learned my, my, my work. And then I realized that, you know, uh, I was more creative director than a designer, which means that I work very well with a design team. So, you know, I have so much ideas that, you know, then I can explain to my team and they design for me. So, and, and I think there is a real difference uh, between uh, create, being a creative director and being a designer. Okay. Uh, very often when you're a designer, you have to think about the cut, uh, the details and things like that. 
a creative director has to have the full image about, you know, campaign, fashion show, visual, merchandising, shop, marketing, all of that. So it's a little bit different. I noticed that some designers can do, some design, uh, designers are not good at being creative director. Yeah. Like when you, like we mentioned before that you, um, that you were working also at, like you co-founded Colette, like the, the legendary yeah. concept store on Rue Saint-Honoré, uh, which closed like, I think four, four or five years ago, but you were there like in the, in the middle of the nineties and you were like the buyer, one of the founders and did also like the visual merchandising as well. Yeah. And I was doing the windows, uh, for almost three years. I was doing the windows two nights a week. Okay. The whole night. Because yeah. there was always, this was one of the main things about Colette is that the window was always changing. Like you could pass there yeah. like just a few days yeah, yeah. later and there no, was no, something uh, when, new. Um, when we started, uh, she asked me to buy everything and I was not a buyer. I say I never bought things in my life. And she said, well, you have experience with magazine, with design, you have a good eye, I trust you, just go. So what do you mean just go? I can't just go to Milano and and go to Prada and Fendi or whatever and just like, and on top of that, at the beginning, convince them. So you can imagine me going to Pucci or Fendi and say, we're going to open a store where we're going to put a vase from, uh, you know, Vinini. I'm going to put a chair from Capellini. I'm going to put a Nike and I want to have like a, a Pucci underwear. I mean, in, in 97, I mean, not even uh, before we opened, I was like 25 years old. People looked at me like, what's this? And I said, it's a, concept, it's a new concept. You know, we're just going to put in the same place everything that we love. Almost like a magazine, but it's going to be a shop. Hmm. But the way you go in the shop, it's like when you go through pages of a magazine. And I really convinced a lot of people at the time, like uh, first one to have to bring Nars makeup in Paris. First one to bring Kios beauty product from America in France. Uh, all of this, I had to convince people, study the product. It was amazing. It was an incredible experience. But uh, really, at the time, people looked at even Nike. Nike said, like, no, we are, we're doing sports shoes. We're not, we're not in fashion. I said, but fashion people wear Nikes. And I said, like, let me buy some style. And, and you know, it's crazy now how I see how things evolve. But really, uh, and it's not just me. Of course, it's Colette, who's an amazing woman and person is that um, Colette really, the shop revolution, the retail and the merchandising, the, the visual merchandising. 100%. And after, after 20 years, you saw, uh, you know, concept stores everywhere and mixing candles, uh, sneakers, blah, blah, blah. Like it really influenced the whole, the whole retail uh, and, and the way things were presented. Uh, for example, when we did all the concept, after I bought everything, Colette said to me, please, can you tell me how you want things to be presented? We need to ask the architect to put the right furniture for it. And I was doing this drawing and I was like, I imagine the vase like that, this like that. I would like to also open a book and just like maybe, you know, the photography will go with the, the, the object we, we present um, because I want people to also have an emotional feeling in the, in the store, you know, like not just like buying, but maybe have even a mood of what's trendy and things like that. So it was very like, I put a lot of my soul at the beginning in this store. And it's true that after also when I left, it changed. It went more streetwear, sportswear, which is normal because uh, Sarah is also another generation. And I think she did an amazing job. And it was the natural evolution. 
Yeah. Uh, but it's true that the beginning was very, very intense. And yes, Colette told me, I want the store to change every week, completely. So we couldn't do it during the day because people were buying. So basically, for almost three years, every week, two nights a week, I was working and I was finishing at nine o'clock in the morning, exhaust, flowers, everything. But then people were coming and the store looked totally different all the time. Oh, yeah. And I think this was one of the key of the success. Yeah, definitely. But what I was just thinking when you told me that you like you didn't know any about buying or like how to arrange a store, I think like doing it requires a lot of self-confidence. Do you know where you where you became like self-confident? Well, it's very strange because uh, people who don't know me, and because I think of the Ray-Ban and. Uh, maybe the street style picture and I don't know, maybe a reputation, I don't know, but very often people think I'm very arrogant, too confident, uh, cold. Um, and it's really not my personality at all. I'm actually very shy. Um, and maybe it's also because at the time, very often Colette was telling me, uh, you know, uh, after one year of Colette, everybody wanted to be in the store. So me being the, 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 the head of buyer and fashion and everything, we were, you can't imagine the numbers of calls and everybody wanted to be in the store. So I had to be the bad guy and say no to a lot of people because there is also a lot of things I don't like. So I was saying no, 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 no. And I, in fact, now with, when I look back, I probably got a lot of enemy or jealousy at the time of people who really didn't really like me. Um, but, uh, but Colette was always telling me, don't try to be nice or please everybody. Uh, it never works. And, um, and about the confidence is like, you know, even today when I go on a shoot and I have an idea in my head and I have a team of 15 people waiting for me to be strong and creative and confident, I'm never sure of if my idea is going to be good or not. I'm like shaking inside. I'm like so fucking stressed. And, and I still have to come with a smile. I have to be nice with everybody. I have to, to show them that I know what I'm doing. And sometimes I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I'm sorry. But uh, sometimes I change the idea during the day because it's really not what I wanted. But, um, but rarely, I rarely change my idea. I, I explain you why. I think the, the confidence comes from uh, if you think about things before. You know, you really have to think a lot about what you want to do, which kind of story, fashion story you want to do, which kind of photography you want to do. And also, I think when you buy, um, you know, I've, maybe it's a question of, I have a good eye. I like to select. I, I have a very strong taste. So I adapt myself to different brands at the time when I was buying. And, and I think, yes, you have to believe in what you do. I, I think I really, it's funny, I was at the discussion yesterday with someone about love, but I make a lot of parallel between love and work. When you make a choice, stick to it. And that's how you show confidence. Because if you're not sure what you, the person you love or the work you choose or whatever, I'm sorry, it's not going to work because people are not going to feel you confident in what you do. Yeah, I 100% agree with you on this. <laughs> Oh, then when you like after the three years at Colette, like you switched back into being a creative director and that was back then you worked uh, for Gucci under Tom Ford. Well, I mean, you know, again, um, you're probably too young, but uh, 95 was the kingdom of Prada and Gucci. Yeah. 
and Tom Ford was was really like I don't know I can't compare to someone today, but was really the guy, and uh, maybe the first guy who changed a brand, an old brand, into something completely modern and glamorous and uh, made millions at the time. And so when at the time Tom Ford is calling you and say, I want to meet you and then propose you to be design director of Gucci Group when at the time in the office there was Christopher Bailey, Italo Zucchelli, no, sorry, Francisco Costa, uh, Claire Weiler, John Ray, uh, and then after we had Stefano Pilat, I mean, wow. I mean, it's like, it, you know, and my heart was broken. Like uh, I cried, collect to, it was very difficult for me to leave that story. But I really felt like I did everything I had to do there in a way that it will continue to be successful even without me, because I think the concept, the success was there. So I really, I really accepted this offer because also I was missing design. I wanted to go back to uh, uh, fashion, to like design, fashion show, you know, all of that, that designing or even uh, working on accessories. And uh, uh, so, you know, I went to Sergio Rossi for Gucci. I also worked on Saint Laurent accessory for Gucci Group. It, I was happy to, to, uh, to go back to that. And, and then from that, yes, uh, the Gilles Sander came and after Trussardi and that. It's never something I wanted to give up because I love fashion. I love clothes. I always wear clothes. I have a very, um, maybe, and I, it's true, I'm not a conceptual person. I, I like clothes and I like to wear them. Like I'm very, you know, functional in terms of like, I like fashion like that. Sometimes, yeah, maybe just for dreaming and, and photograph pieces, but I like reality of fashion. Yeah. And then after you switched to to Chil Sander after Gucci as well around yes. the, the millennium time, yes. and you create if, if if I'm not mistaken, you also created um, the first perfume I ever bought. It's Chil Sander Sun, if I'm correct. Yes. Yeah, that was my first yes. perfume when I was like. Uh, yes, because in fact, to be honest, the real story it was we did it with Coty. Sun existed already for women, yeah. and then they asked me to do Sun Men, and uh, yeah, I think we did the launch. If I remember, was I don't know if it was Barcelona or Madrid. I think it was Barcelona. We did a huge event. Ah, oh, yeah, this was like old times. But uh, yeah, this one and pure Archie Sander. Yeah. I, this was my whole concept also. Yeah. Now the sun had like the the, the orange um, the orange thing on top. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And the first campaign with uh, if I don't mistaken, I don't know if it was Greg McDean or it was the guy on the boat, uh, black and white. It's very beautiful. Yeah. yeah. No, Gilles Sander was an incredible experience. You know, it's like I was killed, killed by fashion people because I was a buyer from Colette going to uh, Gilles Sander. And um, uh, really, I had all the women of uh, the, the woman journalists at the time who were friends with Gilles, who wanted just one thing, it's her to come back. So they did everything to kill me, really everything. Um, uh, I, I liked what I did there. I mean, I could have done better. I was also very young and I think you need to give time and people to to get ready the thing is also if really you 100 honest when ricardo tishi came to givenchy he did something completely different that was not givenchy and it was accepted yeah. uh, i think for me people were not ready to accept gilles Sander to change and in fact i love what uh, uh, what the two designers are doing there now because i think they really respect what uh, gilles was but i think for me in reality a, a brand should evolve 
because at a certain point, it's not Gilles anymore. So it's someone else. So someone else made something different. Mm. And you see it now more and more in a lot of other brands. But um, strangely enough, I was killed on the woman's side, but the men's collection at G- I did at Gio, um were selling really, really, really well. So they never succeed, and this I know for a fact, to sell as much as what I was doing at the time. And this for me, because I, I heard that recently someone was telling me, say, you know, we were looking at the numbers the past 20 years, we never reached uh, the amount of men's where you were selling for Jill Sander. And this, I was really happy because, of course, I'm always closer to menswear anyway. Yeah. No, that's a funny because I think um, probably one or two pieces from you back then are hanging in our closet back there because my husband oh. is one of the biggest Jill Sander fans of all time. And I think like when... Which one? Which one? I have I to show you. I, I, yeah, I, 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 look, I look later and then I'll photograph and perhaps like it's from your era as well. But those are like cardigans and like pullovers that like are... Or, and shoes as well that are like, yeah, 20 years old. Something like that. But what's very strange, I still have two or three pieces. Oh, it didn't change. Like I have a cashmere sweater. It's still perfect. I have a friend who has a corduroy military jacket that I did for Gio, saying, I think the quality at the time and everything, the price of the fabrics and everything made it like really a luxury. Yeah. What I think what you mentioned before is that like, I think today, like they try to turn around every brand, like every like two years, like a new designer comes in and everyone expects them to do their magic trick. And then like to, to somehow like completely reinvent something new. And I think that's just not possible at the moment to reinvent like a label. In, like, well, sometimes, sometimes it works. Sometimes it works, sometimes not. Uh, I think on the longer term, it's also very dangerous because then your clientele doesn't understand anymore. Yeah, yeah No, it's true. Yeah, totally. Because I think uh, Ricardo was talking to a certain kind of client. What Claire was doing is talking to another kind of client. I'm sorry, it's not the same consumer. So in a way, how to, and now what, uh, you know, it's going to happen with Matthew Williams is going to be maybe another consumer again. So um, it's, 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 it's not an easy thing. It's like cooking. You need the right ingredients, the right uh, recipe. Um, but obviously what Ken Jones do for Dior works and selling very well. You like it or not, but it works. Uh, somehow Ora Siemens was doing Dior and Maria Grazia is selling much, much more. So maybe she found the consumer for Dior. Uh, so, you know, it's also a, a whole of mix. Sometimes people forget, they judge a designer or fashion with their own taste or their own vision, but they forget that it's also a business, it's also consumer. Yeah. And so what is best for a brand to, to have, you know, social media and magazines or to sell a lot also it's it's a weird you know it's a business and also a creative field so it's very complicated i think so too but what i yeah what i also think too is that like there is no loyalty to a brand like anymore like because like there are so many designers going around and like i think like 20 years ago you had like the chill sander client and like i think the last era where we had it was like the Celine client as well, where you were like, okay, this is the woman that buys it for the like for the past 10 years. And I think like now that every label like um, is evolving all the time, or like there's a small revolution happening, like it's like there. Yeah, but don't forget something though. Uh, uh, when the, even what you mentioned, let's mention Celine and Jill Sander. Uh, it's still at the time where magazine, women magazine were, were very powerful. So really, uh, it was filtered by certain important journalists and it was representing fashion pages, 
has the thing to wear, the thing to buy, because the, everybody loved Céline or Jill Sander, for example. But at the time, it was, again, for certain elite of consumer, and it was also a, a little bit of a dictatorship because, in, you know, now this democracy of social media is not the fact that we just we are free to do what we want. Is that also what has been liberated is the fact that we are all different. Fat people, skinny people, gay, feminine, trans, uh, of course, black, you know. I mean, there is now like uh, the diversity opened the market also much, much more. Because in fact, for example, if you're a woman, you don't have to be just skinny, white, not eat and wear a perfect dress. Mm. No, now there is a lot of different kind of uh, beauty, different kind of uh, uh, styles. And I think all of this is opening because somehow, I think not only the magazine didn't know how to renew themselves, but they completely missed this, this thing of society that was mixing in terms of race and culture and influence and liberate a little bit from the dictatorship. And in a way, if you're really honest, fashion even maybe 100 years ago was even more dictated you, you had to wear corsets you went you know fashion was really like imposing new things yeah. and somehow since few years people say like no enough we are free we can also consume what we want and it has some it has to be something that looks like us totally. so it, it's really difficult for a designer today to make someone dream but then also answer to their needs and you know something i wanted to say before too uh, what I think is uh, also uh, people don't think about, but a designer is someone who gets influenced by a lot of things. You're like a sponge, you know. Yeah. You see exhibitions, movie, books, whatever, and you 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 create. I see today a lot of new generation of designer who get inspired by Pinterest and Google research, but then everybody look at the same inspiration. <laughs> so people are doing all the same things. And on top of that, you can't anymore get inspired by the Indians or Arab culture or Russian uh, history because then people say it's cultural appropriation. So before fashion was getting inspired by a lot of other cultures. Now you have to be very, very careful because people don't like that and criticize that. So it also gives less opportunity of people to get inspired by things. So suddenly what we see in fashion shows tie and dye, of course, that's no problem, camouflage, check, but we see this more and more. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's, uh, it's we, uh, and again, when you work with young designers, they all come almost with the same inspiration they find on internet. And it's, it's a pity because I think for me, inspiration comes also from old movies and uh, photography books, books, really books is so fucking, why Karl Lagerfeld has so many books it's not a secret because it's inspiring yeah. and travel and, and, and all of that. So yeah, today that's a little bit the part that I like less. I think there is um, maybe a little bit less uh, language to express yourself creatively. Yeah. But it's so funny that you mentioned like the whole um, inspiration thing. I also, I also read like um, a quotation of yours that says that, that you have to consume like a lot if it's like music, like TV, photography, and just like soak it all up and then you can like digest it and 
let it all out. And I 100% agree with that because like since I can remember, I was like listening to music. I, we've been watching like so many films and not be like, oh, I'm just watch what's on TV or I just watch what's popular on Netflix. But I'd be like, like when I was 15 and I saw a Martin Scorsese movie, um, I was like, who's like, who is this? And then I Googled like all his films and I was like buying them on eBay and I watched like from from his first movie until the last. And I'd be like, okay, well, now I get the aesthetic. Yeah. Like, for example, if you want to understand Prada, you have to look Italian movies from the 50s and 60s and Hollywood film from the 40s. Yeah. And then you will look at this black and white movie and sometimes you will see jackets with fur on the sleeves and crystal on the jacket. And it, and then you understand also Prada influence somehow. And, and I say many times, Prada, uh, especially with what's going on now there, um, it's an important moment because Prada is an Italian brand. And now, you know, there is this collaboration with Ralph, which is Belgium. So it's interesting because it's a completely different culture. Um, but anyway, to understand uh, uh, the identity of a brand, you have to understand also the culture and the inspiration and, and everything. Um, yeah, it's a, it's 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 definitely a time that are changing a little bit rules in everything right now. Like after your um, after Chilzander, you were like a short time later, you went you switched sides again and like on the magazine side, and you were at uh, Lofis Salon. Yeah, after Chilzander, one thing that happened to me when I was I think very lucky, I actually signed a new contract for Chilzander. And this, I actually never said it publicly, um, but uh, I was supposed to continue for two years. So you have a scoop now. Um, and she came back, but she only stayed one year yeah. after she left again. <laughs> she. So um, I was actually very lucky because suddenly in my life I had, I could take a year off and think a little bit because, you know, I had really seven years of craziness, uh, Colette, uh, Gucci, Sergio Rossi, Saint Laurent, Gilles Sander. I, it was just crazy, insane. And so I took a year off to really think about what I really wanted to do. And um, and I think sometimes it's it's very important. I always give this advice to everybody. Sometimes take a step back and think a little bit, and, you know, enjoy life, <laughs> uh, regenerate and think about what you want to do. And then Marie-Josée Jaloux from uh, L'Officiel uh, contacted me and uh, she wanted me to uh, help her to do L'Officiel Woman. And again, in my life, I say, I'm, I'm not a journalist. I, I, I don't know how to do a magazine. And so, come on, you did. It's true. I did collaboration when, uh, you know, at the time of Colette, I did some stuff with Dutch and ID and things like that. But I say, no, I'm not ready. But I know you have this title called L'Officiel Homme. I would like to do it. And if I can do it twice a year, I take the challenge. And she accepted it. And so we did L'Officiel Homme Paris. And that was it, twice a year. And then it became four times a year. And then the whole thing started. L'Officiel Homme China, L'Officiel Homme Arabia, L'Officiel Homme Russia, blah, 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 15 edition after. So yeah, I did that for seven years. Um, and it was, when I look back now, if I didn't accept to do it, I would have never started photography. So uh, exactly. it's funny how... Yeah. You know, I always say to younger designers, young people, and today if you're in fashion, please, please open your mind. You know, it's like, uh, if you want to do something, do it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't matter. It's an experience. You will have no regret. But if it works, 
wow, you're not great. So you will have done something that you believed in. So it's really like important not to be scared to make some jump sometime. And that's really maybe what brings to what we were saying before about confidence. Uh, you know, it's, it's true that jumping is super scary, but gives you a lot of confidence because you think I did it. You know, I, I try, I'm proud of me, whatever, if it works or not. Yeah. But when you did like your first uh, photographs or your, the first editorials, um, you used the fake name. How you know that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because because it uh, it brings back to what I said to you before. Don't forget again that it was uh, 2005, and it seems not long ago. But even then, uh, if you had a magazine, you were not doing pictures inside. It was it could have been considered like an abuse of uh, I don't know power, or you know you were using your position to do photography. But uh, and I was scared again. So when I started to do it, yeah, I, I, I invent another name because I wanted people to judge my photography, not me. And, and it's also actually, it was an amazing experience because now I really believe that sometimes some fashion brand, if you change the name, people will critic and look at it completely differently. <laughs> yeah, because they don't recognize the box anymore. And I like, I, oh, yeah. I can totally agree Complete. with you on that as well. Because like when I was doing my first pictures as well for the Wasted Hour, I just used like MH, my initials, and not like my name. I was like, no, like people were like, like I didn't want to put my name out there. But then mm -hmm. like for me, it was like when I was looking, I think like one year after I started shooting photos, that I was looking at the first photographs that I was proud of. And then I was like, okay, I can use my real name now. Like, like that's something I feel confident <laughs> about. Yeah, no, because in fact, it's, it takes a lot of maturity to also understand, you know, when people say like, oh, I'm hurt by critics or, or jealousy or people who talk bad. When, because sometimes they also judge in their own way, uh, not knowing the full story or the, the full everything. Uh, I, I think that um, it's funny how in a critic, there is a lot of things that could be just personal And in fact, when you do something anonymous, the, in fact, the critic is much more honest in a way. And, um, but it's true that I think some brand, if you put, uh, I don't know, Celine on it or Comme des Garçons on it, people are going to love it anyway. But then if it's another brand, people are going to hate it. It's very, it's also a whole perception thing. And, uh, um, and I guess this is what marketing is for also how you sell yourself, how you sell your, your image, your name and everything. Um, but, uh, but after one year I stopped because I started to have calls and people wanted to meet Andreas. This was my fake name. And, uh, they proposed me a big campaign for advertising. I couldn't even believe. And, uh, I had to tell them that it was me. I mean, it's like, you know, at a certain point I had to say truth and then I put my name and it was, it went much more smooth and, uh, um, people accepted the, the photography. Strangely enough, in all of this, it took me almost 10 years for me to accept being a photographer. Yeah, when someone asks you, what are you doing, that you can also answer like that. <laughs> yeah, because um, there is two things. When people ask you what you do, who really don't know you, and you say everything you do, they almost look at you like they don't believe you. <laughs> like you're a little bit of a, you know, who's this guy? It's like, we must be like inventing things. Um, and then... Um, Yeah, I think it's so, it will be so much more easy to say to people, I'm a photographer, and that's it. Yeah. You know? 
So, um, but you, yeah. you, you're doing photos uh, until now, and in 2011, you started doing uh, Fashion for Man, which is like an annual magazine, and that's when we talked on the phone as well. Like, I think it was in 2011 when I was on Tommy Ton's uh, street style blog, checkandchill.com, and I saw like several pictures of you, and then I was like Googling who you are and like what clothes you were wearing, and then of course, like, I discovered Fashion for Man as well. And until this day, like, like I always always look forward to it when it comes out, and also when you started doing like the Fashion for Man like summer editions or like the one with uh, with Jet, etc. And but in 2011, like social media and like the internet was also already on the rise. I mean, like there were blogs around the time, and I think you you said back then that you wanted to go against the digital trend by creating like Fashion for Man. Yeah, because that, you know, I love fashion, it's my life. Uh, what's difficult in this uh, world is that every time something is a little bit new or cool or whatever, it's right away taking over by people from marketing and then it's everywhere and, it's, and then it becomes less interesting. So you, it's really, you really have to reinvent yourself all the time. And I think the, the you know, what happened with street style also, like at the beginning, uh, The idea was to photograph professionals who worked in this business and to see how they were wearing stuff, how they were mixing clothes, because as professional, there were su supposedly people who have more, not taste, but like, you know, uh, uh, let's say ability to wear and mix things and influence other people. But suddenly it becomes so big, then then you see a whole new bunch of people coming just for dressing for going to fashion show and be photographed. So it was not anymore about really how you put things and if you have taken it was basically just to get attention. So you know it's much less honest because then you put like a costume and you're a clown and you photograph because you have whatever a wig or you know this or this. So it's interesting, it's fun, but I think the idea, the first idea was lost a little bit there. Um, But for the, you know, after seven years of L'Officialum and I was doing Trusandi, in the meantime, I also opened another concept store in Miami yeah. called The Webster, also became very famous. I was exhausted. I was really uh, very, very, very tired. And I uh, decided to change a little bit my life. I uh, moved to Miami to have a little bit quality of life. And I was wondering, I said, like, L'Officialum was such a big success and generate quite a lot of money. And I had a lot of advertisers that were ready to follow me on another adventure. And I remember someone telling me, you know, it's very difficult to make a magazine. You're going to have a lot of problems. If I were you, I will not do it. And if you tell me that, I'm going to do it, of course. Challenge accepted. <laughs> um, and so I said, you know what? Everybody look on the phone. I had this vision of uh, feeling that anyway, it will end up like that. And I think to be a weekly magazine or a news magazine or thing like that, what's the point? Because then you get it on the phone right away. You don't need the magazine to come out to read information or news. Uh, people see catwalk shows already right away. So there is this immediate information. So what's the purpose of a magazine if you continue it? It's actually um, photography, I think, and beautiful images that can influence um, people. But also, I always, I don't know why, I believe a lot in magazine as a, a good archive for fashion students. One, yeah, it's 100% uh, like it, that. It, yeah. it's, it's, it's really fun because I thought we, I don't know, 
in fact, nobody ever saw, but I don't know how much images we see every day on the mobile phone. Let's say something stupid, but 10,000 images. We're going to save maybe some, but we're going to forget those images. Totally. And also because it's digital, it doesn't really stay because we're not going to print every single picture we like. And it's true that when you work, when you make some research and you design, yes, you can make research on your Google, but it's it's so nice to open an old magazine and to see the advertising, uh, the celebrities, the clothes, everything. And I, I really, I remember my passion was to really buy some magazine from the 70s and 80s and things like that. I love that. So I, I, I say, why not doing a magazine that is actually a book where really nobody tell me we have only eight pages to do a story. Now, if I want to do a story with 40 page, I do it with 40 page. If I want to do everything double page, I can because it's mine. And I say, uh, you know, at the end, even with L'Officiel, but I see a lot of magazines which so slowly started to make less money. So they started to use cheaper paper. They started to print in a much more cheaper way. And also I was like, what is that? Like, I love photography. If photography is badly print, like it's not, not, it makes no sense. And it's, it hurt me as a photographer. So I wanted a beautiful paper, beautiful print. And I say, I want this book, like a coffee table book. I want something that stay. And right away I say, you know what, in 10 years, it will be an incredible archive for a young student that's going to open and say, this was what fashion was in 2011. Yeah. And, and yes, in 2011, you will see that it was the big time of Ricardo Tichy, the Rottweiler and blah, blah, blah. And I like that. I, I think that uh, it's funny to, to do something for now. And I think fashion is always about now, but you have to think also a little bit of the influence you can have on people and what you leave behind. Yeah. So this was the concept. And, um, I'm actually impressed. We're gonna. I'm working now on the 10 years anniversary. I'm impressed that I last that long because I really thought so that you know, with digital, uh, I will lose my advertisers all one by one. And uh, actually, this week another one wanted to be in it by surprise. It's not confirmed yet, yeah. but a new big, big one. So it's a recognition that I'm happy. You know, it doesn't really make money, and but I don't care. I also think that. Uh, um, we all have, you know, jobs where we have a salary, we make money, but I think uh, I love this fashion. And, and, and even if it's a business, there is no point doing this. If you don't put your soul, your emotions, your passion, your creativity. I mean, that's the reason why you wake up in the morning, not the money you have to make. Oh. Uh, it, it's really like what makes you happy. All those hours you work, you know, the excitement of create. Yeah whatever it is yeah. no totally and i think like it was it was like the first time i was looking at fashion for men and i was i had the feeling that i was looking at your like diary of like the, the last year of like what inspired you what clothes you thought were good what people inspired you with the interviews so I always was like for the next year i was already waiting and like i told you in the uh, in the phone call before it's like the first page that i always look to is like the playlist on the last page and i'd be like okay what was the mood for like the because like then i'd be like okay that's the setting <laughs> but on top of that the playlist is actually not the playlist i'm using to to do the magazine it's in fact when i finish yeah. the magazine when i'm finished when i put it together i listen to music and that's the music that inspires me um but you see, listen to you first. Thank you. It's a, it's a compliment, and I really appreciate it because um, it's always the best, 
the best compliment is uh, is someone who read and and know you know what they talk about because now a lot of people talk about what I do because of what they see on the phone but they don't even never saw the magazine so it's kind of weird um, but for example yes it's a diary but now for example when I really like someone young or uh, unfortunately and I don't know why there is also a little bit this trend now of snobism where some designers feel that they don't want to talk, they don't want to do any interview. Uh, I guess it's the Margiela uh, syndrome, yeah. you know. I think I respect what Margiela did, but if everybody starts to do that, it's a little bit, uh, I don't like it, to be honest. Um, and, um, and I think maybe sometimes some designers at the moment who actually have success started to have a very big ego very quick, and uh, and 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 sometimes I just want to tell them like be careful because it doesn't last forever for no one. And um, I think that also personality and being nice is very important in this business. Yeah. Um, so sometimes uh, it's more difficult. But as much as it was difficult for me, for example, to I photograph a lot of celebrities before. Uh, for officiel a lot from Kanye West to Pharrell Williams and Tilda Swinton and name it but it was so difficult for me to deal with the agents yeah. you know the, the 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 business side of the celebrities <laughs> in LA um, that really I, there is also a point where I say you know what I want to do my diary and really with people that I met that I love and that I like and I don't want the to interview someone just because this person has to promote a movie or something and it's not natural, it's not true. I don't want to do a designer who has a big ego and uh, really refuse uh, interviews and then I have to insist. Blah, blah. Why? Honestly, I think things should be much more easy. Yeah. And uh, uh, so really I was lucky and, and kind of impressed on the last issue. I, when I, you know, uh, during our Basel, I uh, met uh, Amoako, uh, the, the painter, the artist and uh, I love this work and I didn't even know he was going to do something with Dior and uh, we did this fashion shoot and big interview and I fell in love with his work and I felt like oh great you know after when I saw what he's doing for Dior he, and he was he's everywhere now um, so it's the instinct I will say yeah you know but you also like I, I love this approach too and of course like I deal with some agents as well like all the time like <laughs> doing interviews and stuff and I was really like happy when the first contact that we had like you really live it as well because like when I had like when your phone like when your name appeared on my phone screen I was like okay and then I got on the phone and you were like so nice and like talking to each other and you really give it back the same thing that she wanted like want to have like a good conversation as well and that's what's really i think is like really inspirational like not just i hope not just for the two of us but also for all the people that like listen to it listen one of the things that really i hope if people listen to this they will listen to me but i don't know i don't know the secret of life i don't know the secret of this business something like that but one thing i know since 25 years i work in this business all the people that i know who had a huge ego and changed from the beginning where they were nice and after with success being kind of arrogant, forget you, uh, not nice, who started to not listen anymore and surrounded themselves by people who say, yes, yes, you're great, you're amazing all the time. Uh, 
always people who started to fail at a certain point. Yeah. And 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 I think it's sad if you. What do you want in your life? Just to be like a a, a designer that everybody loves and have dinner with stars and celebrities and for a couple of years. And after those stars and celebrities and all those people are gonna go and love someone else anyway, you know, because they need that. Yeah. So don't forget the people who helped you at the beginning. Don't forget the people who are more simple and really support you and love you. And that will actually, it's like love, you know, like family. People will always be there. Yeah. Don't forget them. And, and unfortunately, I still see it repeats. History is repeating all the time. Uh, it happened not, thanks God, not to a lot of designers, but it happened to some. And it's very sad because um, suddenly, yeah, I think it's that. There is no one around them who tell them the truth and tell them that, you know, maybe sometimes you're not super good or be careful or maybe this, you know, it's a copy of this. Um, it happened to me in my career. Uh, to meet people where we're not listening anymore. Yeah. And I, I found that uh, quite sad. And for me, at least it's a motivation where I need to, I know I need to reinvent myself all the time and be nice. And then, as you said, always think that you also work for, for next generation, people who are going to be influenced by what you do. It's never, never... Uh, forget this point also when you work. I think it's uh, what keeps you uh, um, honest in what you do. And obviously, I think then to finish, but um, to put your soul in what you do. Yeah. If you sell your soul to marketing and do things just for for money, people will lost interest. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, it's so great. Uh, hearing you saying that after like 25 years, <laughs> I can totally... Agree on that no, too. because you see, it, you you know, again, uh, 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 you have to keep your eyes open and get as much information as everything. Uh, you know, uh, who knows what's going to happen with Kanye West and Gap. But in a way, thanks God, because for almost 10 years, Gap lost itself completely. Yeah. And there was no one there to say, hey, do you see what Zara H&M is doing? Like, of course, or maybe there is some Uniqlo, maybe <laughs> Gap should do something. So why it didn't happen? There is a reason for that. Exactly. Um, why H&M or Zara is much less interesting now and closing a lot of stuff. It's not just COVID. It's also because step by step, they started to do cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Yeah. And, you know, even with campaigns were much nicer at the beginning. I mean, you know, there was much more uh, soul at the beginning, even if it's like a mass product and a commercial product. So I think it's, it's in every level. Uh, whatever you work for, for Gap or you work for Givenchy, you need to put your soul in things. Yeah. One thing that I also wanted to talk to you about is like, uh, you mentioned it a little bit before, is like the, the lifestyle because you've done so much and like so much sometimes at the same time that I can just imagine that it was like very exhausting. And then mm. um, when did you start caring about yourself or when did you start like listening to your body or... Uh, when I came to Miami, because uh, I guess Miami is a little bit like Rio or uh, Barcelona or, or things like that. I think by the moment you live on the sun and close to the sea, uh, you obviously go to the beach and you have a feeling with your body much stronger. Obviously, people are much more sexy in those places. <laughs> and I was extremely skinny. 
uh, I was eating very badly, very badly. Yeah. Uh, I was living on sugar yeah. like crazy. Uh, I, I think I was probably drink eight Coca-Cola a day, not zero, not diet, like pure Coca-Cola, <laughs> uh, coffee, uh, candies all the time. And so I was on sugar and I was, you know, really like on, on, on the stress all the time and everything. And I, I'm, I'm a workaholic anyway. I love to work. So that's not an issue, but I think I needed this kind of energy, but I was ruining my body. And I, I felt like I really need to change the way I eat. Uh, I never did sport in my life. Yeah. Uh, and you also stopped so, smoking after you photographed uh, Pete Doherty, right? <laughs> Well, I, I start, I smoke, I start, I stopped four years ago, uh, four years, and then I start again. And for the moment, like, for example, now I smoke too much. I guess this is the COVID lockdown effect. Um, but no, I basically took a coach and I said, please help me. Uh, tell me what I should do. And, uh, you know, it, it really like uh, very seriously about how much protein I need every day and what I should need in the, eat in the morning, stop sugar completely. Uh, you know, that no alcohol. I mean, there, there is a lot of things I completely kind of uh, uh, retake and take in charge and I, I felt much better. Um, and also, to be honest, it's, it's also not only that I was very tired, it was also, I think, aging. You want to age well and, uh, you know, it's like it's okay to, to be uh, super skinny and eat sugar when you're young, but uh, when you age, it's not that good. So you have to be a little bit more careful. Yeah. Um, but unfortunately, I have a better quality of life, but the amount of work is uh, very often the same and uh, it's very exhausting. You know, it's uh, sometimes people come at me and they say like, oh my God, I, I love what you, I want to be like you. I say, you know, well, <laughs> like you say in French, bon courage, you have to work your ass. It's really not uh, easy at all. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's a lot, it's a lot, a lot of work. And, because um, you also like still I forgot to mention like for the listeners you're like also like the creative director for Port Sunk um, Portsby yeah. <laughs> I was like somehow pronouncing French in my head because I was uh, reading something in French no no I still yeah I, I designed for them since six years I do menswear yeah. and uh, two years uh, I was doing Port 961 yeah. two years and a half ago they asked me to launch a new brand that we started from zero And for example, why I say I work a lot, because this year with COVID, now I have to learn to do collection by distance with Zoom, uh, fabric sent by FedEx to my apartment, because usually I travel every month and now no. So it's much more complicated. Doing shooting is more complicated. Having models is much more complicated. Having clothes, it's much more complicated. It's a fucking year. Everything is so complicated. So it, 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 it's work, but it gives you even more work. Yeah. So that's why I like I started to smoke a little bit more, unfortunately. <laughs> but one, but uh, no, no, it's it's really like, um, yeah, I think sometimes the the some millennial forget that to achieve something or to be somewhere you need to work a lot. It's not easy. Yeah. It doesn't come easily. And no. even if you like somehow made it, like you still have to work a lot. And it's not just like the good sides that you see perhaps on social media or like on the as a on a job title. They're like there is so much more to it. Yeah, and 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 the the the, the thing for me is that I'm also a little bit of a, as I say a free spirit, and I'm actually um, that's one of the let's say if I have to say something negative, but it's true that I'm a little bit of an independent. So today, I think what's important for big brands, for example, is the network you have, like. Uh, 
more you have a community on Instagram, on social media, uh, more people are interested in you. And it's true that I, I, I never believed in one community. Like I like different kind of community. I like different tribe. I like, uh, I like freedom. I like independence again. Yeah. Uh, so that's, that made the part of me that it's maybe not so easy sometimes because I should uh, communicate more. I should promote my work more, all of that. But I prefer to spend my energy on what I'm doing. So yeah. it's a little bit more, I would say, a longer run. You know, it's um, when we call last week and I was telling you, sometimes I'm fascinated even when someone said that he saw the magazine. I mean, the magazine is distributed worldwide and I know how much I sell and I see that people are reading it. But it's almost like I can't, uh, I don't speak. I mean, I don't, I don't know. So when someone say, I see your playlist or I saw this story, Every time is a compliment for me because it's almost something I don't, I don't, you don't expect it. Picture. Yeah, and like you see, like it's the long run. Like me, after nine years or like nearly ten years, <laughs> telling you that your playlist and that your magazine and that your work is great. <laughs> yes, but look, I, I I don't know, but I'm I'm glad if I inspire you or if I give you some idea. I'm sure you get inspired by other things too. Um, but the long run is nice because uh, you will last longer anyway you know and you will always reinvent yourself that's that's what is important now and now more than ever you need to be relevant in what you do re-question what you do all the time you know it's like uh uh, that's again what i'm saying before is that sometimes some designers are losing track of what's changing or what's happening and now it's happening and change quick because people are so much on the phone looking so quick on clicks and things like that we get bored very easily so if you do the same thing all over and over again. Sometimes people get bored and want something yeah. else. So you need to reinvent yourself, even though you have to keep a certain style so people at least don't get lost in uh, what you do. So, uh, you know, I, I think what you do, for example, is a, a definitely reinvention of what retail or magazine could be. Um, you're a new generation. You put your own taste in the things you do the pictures yourself. I mean, you put your soul in it. So there is no reason uh, it, it won't work. But it's true that your challenge, for example, on what you do is that to be able to, I don't know when, but sometimes say, you know what, I need to change. I need to reinvent. Uh, now, for example, I decided to completely reinvent my website. Uh, I have a little new project coming. I can't talk about it now. Uh, and I've, for fashion for men, I'm seriously thinking next year to uh, a little bit make an evolution of the whole graphic, the whole thing. Just, just I think to even challenge yourself, you know, uh, uh, because that's what fashion is about: reinvention. Reinvention, and what I also think, like for my working ethos, is also like to um, to be open and to give like love to the people that I'm like, working with, because like it always comes back as well. Like there's it's not not becoming less i think it's also becoming just more and more and more and i think that's what yeah yeah no no it's about i told you like when i did this interview i think there is a lot of parallel uh in a love relationship and in work it's very strange when you think about it there is a lot of common things sometimes yeah definitely so milan thank you so much for taking the time like it was like thank for you. me like one of the most interesting hours and like this like doing the interviews is like the most fun part of my job so thank you very very much no i actually um 
when I do interview also for Fashion for Men, I, I really like, I think an interview requires uh, empathy, uh, requires to listen. Um, and also I think a good interview is when you, you give something, you know, you can't just repeat always the same things uh, over and over. But also, uh, again, you know, it always come back to this. Maybe this, this podcast we're doing is going to influence one person. But even if it's just one, wow, you know, maybe we're going to inspire someone to do something and to believe and to be confident or things like that. I love this idea. So it means that you and me did something that counts. And, and that's cool. That's the best thing. You know, if we can transmit our love, our passion to someone, wow, it's an achievement. Already that, it's an achievement. Yeah. 100% agree on this. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so, thank much. You so much for the time. And uh, actually, yeah, I, I am going to call you for something else. Thank you very much. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah.